Well, church, very excited to turn to the Word of God. We are walking through the Gospel of Luke. We're going to be in chapter 22. This is kind of the home stretch of Luke. This is where Jesus is betrayed. He's going to kind of coach up his disciples right before his arrest. This is kind of remind me of that scene in Hoosiers. If you remember that you know, famous movie when the coach gets kicked out, and he goes over and gives kind of one last pep talk to the coach who's going to step in to his players, gives him the playbook before he's taken out of the game. And that's the context we find ourselves in in Luke 22. We're going to start in verse 35 if you're following in your, in your Bible at home. But if not, as always, we're going to put it on the screen and we're going to jump around a little bit down to verse 47. But like I said, as always, it will be on the screen for you. So let's dive in together. This is Luke 22, picking it up in verse 35. And he said to them, When I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? They said nothing. He said to them, But now let the one who has a money bag take it, and likewise a knapsack. And let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. For I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors. For what is written about me has its fulfillment. And they said, look, Lord, here are two swords. And he said to them, it is enough. Jump down. While he was still speaking, there came a crowd. And the man called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And when those who were around him saw what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched his ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests and officers of the temple and elders who had come out against him, have you come out against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me. But this is your hour in the power of darkness. He said that is the context of Jesus now being betrayed and arrested. Again, first he kind of coaches them up a little bit because he's going to send them out. Jesus is kind of being taken away from them. And he talks about how he's going to send them out. And then you just see this crazy story. I love this story. And if you don't know kind of the context behind it, so kind of what was going on with that kiss, see, that was the signal so they knew who Jesus was. So Judas had this kind of prearranged, you know, it, this is, it's dark, they couldn't see. And it's not like they had Facebook like, what's Jesus look like? Well, let me look him up on Facebook. That, they didn't have that option. So the plan was, Judas was going to go kiss Jesus so they know they knew which one to arrest. And again, that can kind of seem weird a little bit, but that was kind of a common greeting. That would be like, okay, if the plan for us today was Judas going to them, hey, you know, the person I shake hands with, the guy I kind of dap up, then you know that's him, right? And so that's kind of the plan. Judas comes in and is like, hey, JC, what's up, J Money? And, you know, that's kind of the deal, right? Like, hey, you could be safe. And then that's the symbol, like, that's Jesus, arrest him. So as they go to arrest him, 
You know, they were already talking about swords. This is where we, don't, we know from the other Gospels. It was actually Peter pulls out his sword and cuts a dude's ear off. And then Jesus picks up, just straight up Mr. Potato Head style, just like ear falls off, just pops it back on. And one thing that always amazes me is that like all the soldiers continue with the arrest. Now put yourself in their shoes. If I'm a soldier coming to arrest a guy and he just puts a dude's ear back on, I think, yeah, I'm out. Hey, hey, deuce up, A-town down. I'm gone. Like, that dude just put a dude's ear on, like, I think, you know, go ahead without me, Captain. But they continue. Jesus heals this guy. And then that is how he is arrested. So this is the arrest of Jesus. Again, we are coming down the home stretch in the Gospel of Luke. So kind of what do we do with this passage? There's a, a bunch of just awesome things going on in here. Like I said, as I look at this context, Jesus preparing his followers to follow him while he's gone. So that's kind of where I want to look at. Following Jesus. How do we follow Jesus? And I want to break it up this way. Following Jesus, I want to first describe it, and then I want to help you do that. Like, what does it actually look like? I want to describe it and then help you. Okay, what, what do I actually have to do? How do I got to be to be a follower of Christ? So that's where we're going with the rest of the time, and I hope God speaks to you through that. So first, as we look at this passage, looking at describing what is it like to follow Jesus, first thing I want to look at is right here. Following Jesus is comforting. Ah, that's good to know. And where does kind of I get that in this passage? Following Jesus is comforting. This is kind of where Jesus lays the groundwork. See, I think Jesus knows that it's going to get crazy. And so right out of the gates, what does he do? He reminds them of how he has always provided for them. Do you remember that in the passage? He goes, hey guys, remember when I sent you out before? You didn't take any bag, any purse, no money. Did you lack anything? And they said, nothing. If you are a follower of Jesus, this might be like your only take-home point you need. Because I know in these crazy times, so many of us are wrestling and doubting, you know, with jobs and wondering, am I going to be okay? Listen to the words of Jesus, this question. Jesus asks us, when you follow me, do you, did you lack anything? Do you lack anything? Nothing. This is Jesus reminding them, hey, it's going to get crazy, and it might get crazy in our lives, but Jesus reminds them that you can trust me. And that's what it's all about with kind of the knapsack and the purse and all those things. See, when we go on a short-term mission trip, you know, many of you, I'm sure almost everybody's probably flown before, Anytime we take a short-term trip somewhere, we pack a bag, but then I also always tell everybody, hey, bring a carry-on with all your basic necessities in it. Bring a carry-on with a change of clothes, underwear. Why do I make sure everybody has a carry-on with all their essentials? We don't trust the airline to get our bag there. We don't trust Spirit Airlines, that's why. And I'm not dogging Spirit Airlines. I love the bargain prices, and I know that's not everybody's cup of tea and you whine. Oh, you gotta buy everything. You can fill up water in the airport and bring it on the plane. This isn't about Spirit Airlines. I don't care who you fly, but you get the point. 
We don't trust that, that, that the airline is going to deliver. So we try to, you know, bring provision to make sure we're okay. And Jesus is saying, look, I am not an airline. You don't ever have to worry. Following Jesus, when you're following him, it is comforting to know he will always provide for us. Isn't that good to know? Have you reminded yourself of that, of his guaranteed provision in your life? Following Jesus is comforting. Now, the second point, maybe not as kind of warm and fuzzy, is that one. But in describing what it's like following Jesus, one, it's comforting, but two, it is also confusing. And you hear that, you're like, thanks, Sherlock. Oh, it's confusing. Like, I, I tuned in to find out how confusing life is. Like, I already know that. Like, you, that's why you're the preacher, man, supposed to tell me what to do. One, chill out. There are many more points, many more words that begin with C to come, I promise you. But I think that's helpful. You know, raise your hand if you've ever been confused in following God. And I'm assuming that's basically everybody, unless you're lying or you're in the kitchen and you didn't hear me. Like, it's just good to know, man, am I the only one that feels this way, that it is confusing. We look at this journey with the disciples, it isn't always easy to know exactly what God wants us to do. Have you ever been in that place? One, I gotta tell you this point, to kind of allow ourselves to give ourselves grace. So often we think, am I doing something wrong? Man, you hear people talking about, God told me this, and God told me to go here, so I went there. And for, you know, most of us, it just feels confusing at times. And kind of where do I draw that out of this passage? Now think about what Jesus said. Remember when he reminds them of his provision and his comfort in their lives? He said, hey, when I sent you out, I told you, don't bring anything and I'll provide. You know, did you lack anything? No, nothing. I'm sending you out again. So at that point, okay, when Jesus sends us out, you know, no knapsack, you know, no purse. So they're taking their fanny packs off and they're like, all right, we're ready to go. And then Jesus says, no, 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 this time, I want you to bring a sword. I want you to bring a purse. I want you to bring money. The exact opposite of what he told them to do last time. And here's what I want, you know, all of us to understand is God isn't just a simple formula. Like, do this in this situation. In this situation, do this. It is a relationship with God. Now, clearly, he has given us the scripture. He's given us principles. And I'm not talking about issues of sin like, man, should I lie in this situation or should I not? That's not what I'm talking about. But as we're trying to make decisions and follow God, it's not a simple formula. It's confusing. And I want you to give yourself grace. Because following God, it's also going to be clunky. I was going to add that on the slides, but I think all the C words got a little out of hand. But if you're taking notes at home and you want another word that begins with C, clunky. Because it is confusing. And do you ever feel like you're kind of fumbling your way through following God? I feel like that. I don't always feel like 100% I am positive this is where God wants me to go and this is what he wants me to do and say. And again, if you feel like that, take a deep breath. I feel like that. The apostles felt like that. They're kind of fumbling their way through this. Like the lead 
disciple, the lead apostle, chopped a dude's ear off. Like, man, and, and clearly Jesus rebukes him. It's not what Jesus was looking for. So if, hey, you've never made mistakes and accidentally chopped somebody's ear off, you're in good company, all right? Following God, man, it's comforting. God will provide. But it oftentimes is confusing and clunky. It is not just kind of God gives us every step of our lives and then we see him in heaven. It's a relationship. God isn't a formula. He's a relationship. God isn't a formula. He's a relationship. I remember hearing kind of a modern-day parable once. You know, it was a guy, he's a landscaper, and there's a foreman, and there's a guy working on the crew. And he's working out in the the yard, and he gets a big rock, a boulder, and he takes it to the foreman. What do you want me to do with this? Go put it over by the tree. He's digging again and, you know, trying to clear out the ground. Comes across another big rock boulder, takes it to the foreman. Go put it by the tree. Again, he's digging, and he kind of, we're trying to clear the ground, and then he comes across a big boulder, takes it to his foreman. Now, what do I do with this, boss? Take it over by the tree. He's doing that all day, keeps finding as they're trying to clear this ground, these big rocks and boulders. The 99th, the 100th boulder, what do you do with that one? Well, he kept saying, take it to the tree. Do I take it to the tree? No. You take it back to the foreman. What do you want me to do with this? That is true of our lives. As you're trying to make decisions, man, it is difficult, and we're often going to fumble our way through it, but it's a relationship. As we're making big decisions, every time, you know, I want us to go back to God. God, what do you want me to do? And I'm going to mess up. We're going to do something dumb. I mean, raise your hand if you've ever done something dumb, right? Like we've all been there. And that's okay. It is confusing. It is clunky. And back to a nice, other warm, fuzzy point. Third point of describing what it's like following Jesus. It is covered. Here's what I mean by that. As we're trying to follow Jesus, experience his provision, and we mess up, we are covered by his grace. You know, again, Peter fumbling his way through this. And this kind of, you know, darkest, most important hour chops a guy's ear off. And what does Jesus do? I mean, he totally got it. Hey, I got you. Like, chill out. I'm going to need you to take 10 deep breaths, Peter. But let me fix this for you. And he puts the dude's ear back on, which is so crazy. I, I would love to be there for these situations. But as you fumble through, as we fumble through and make mistakes... Man, God isn't waiting for us to live a perfect life and then he's going to use us. God is going to have our back. Listen to me, God has your back. And it's going to be clunky and you're going to mess up, but God is going to cover over your mistakes along the way. God isn't waiting for you to live this perfect life to use you. God is going to use you as you kind of clunky, clumsily, kind of fumble your way through it, and he's going to cover you. Do you know how many times I've seen that in my life? you know how many times we've seen that as a church? There's been so many times with the pastors or staff, and we'll look at something where, you know, we had no idea it was coming, and God just totally covered us and covered our backs and kind of was working behind the scenes, kind of fixing our mistakes or bad decisions. I want you to know that is true of you. 
God is saying, look, as you follow me, I got your back. I got you covered. And this isn't, you know, don't misunderstand me. This isn't just, hey, God's going to bail you out. Every mistake you make, God's just going to heal it. Every ear you chop off, he's going to put it back on. I'm not saying that. But I do know, man, we're going to do our best to follow God. We're going to try to honor him. We're going to think about, man, how can we best follow him? And God's going to have our back along the way. But even more than cover, it's not just covering our mistakes. It goes on to talk about, man, this hour that he's going to be numbered for their transgressors. Jesus, who's going to be numbered for our transgressors, is going to cover our transgressions with his grace, with the blood of Christ. So I want you to know that. I want you to have peace. That God is going to comfort you. God is going to provide for you. I want you to be gracious to yourself. Because it is confusing and it's clunky. That's okay. You know, give yourself you know, a break and be gracious towards yourself. But I also want to give you courage. You know, God is going to cover you with his grace. He's going to help us along the way. And even when we do make mistakes, we are covered by Christ. So I want to celebrate that as I see that in this passage. You know, describe what it's like following Jesus. It's comforting. It is confusing, but we are covered. So that's kind of describing it. Now I want to move towards kind of how do we do that? Like, what should we actually do to follow Jesus? And I'm excited. You got a couple more C's coming at you. First point. Following Jesus, be calm. I debated almost going with be chill, because I feel that more. So if you want to go chill, go chill. But for, you know, everybody else, you can think about, okay, if I'm following Jesus, how do I do that? I want you to be calm. Here's what I mean, and kind of here's how I see that here. Think about this scene. This isn't just an arrest. I mean, this is the kidnapping of an innocent person. And Jesus, like, I mean, go back and read it again on your own time. I'm amazed. In the midst of Jesus being betrayed, like has never been before in this world, Jesus being kidnapped, treated as like a terrorist, is at utter peace. Jesus is calm, fully surrendered to God's will. I want us to strive for that kind of peace in our lives. And Jesus, he had to work for it, right? Remember, he was just bleeding, you know, sweating blood in the garden. But I want to try to get to that place. To follow Jesus is to be calm, to be a person of peace. I've been reflecting on Psalm 23, reading a book on it. It starts, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It's this picture as followers of Christ that we can be people of peace and not fear. That's what it looks like to follow Jesus. And we see mostly, you know, learning from Peter's mistakes and his example. Surely, we look at Christ's picture. I mean, how would you be in that position? I mean, Jesus is about to be kidnapped. I'd be flipping out and like ripping my shirt off. Like, you ain't going to take me. I'd be, you know, going crazy, barking like a dog. Like, I'm going to get you if you go. Jesus being arrested at utter peace. And Peter, 
misses following Jesus the way he calls him out to be. And remember that Peter's the one who cuts off his ear. Why? He wasn't, and it's hard to know his heart, but here it seems, man, he is driven by fear and anxiety, and he is trying to resist this and isn't resting in the sovereignty of God where Jesus clearly says, hey, this is supposed to happen. And a couple of just very practical things to kind of help you as you're trying to follow God. Maybe you have a big decision. And here's, I think, a couple mistakes that Peter made. One, because he wasn't calm and just caught up in the moment and just acted. So once you're at peace, I want you, it maybe, again, you have a big decision. Don't presume upon God. Don't presume upon Jesus. That's one of the mistakes that Peter made. So as the soldiers come, and the way Peter asked the question, it was presumptive. You know, is now the time we should get out the swords? You can almost see Peter almost asked it rhetorically. He is not open to how Jesus wants this situation to go down. He has it in his mind. He thinks, you know, he's presuming. And even in the Greek, that's the, it kind of sets up. You could tell he's almost assuming. But don't presume upon God. I see so many people where it's hard for them to follow God because they've already decided that God, you know, there's no way God is asking me to do this. Like, there's no way God is really asking me to donate, you know, all of my stimulus check. I need that. I mean, there's no way God can really be asking me to forgive this person. Like, surely God isn't asking me to do this. Surely God isn't asking me to do this. And I always want to respond, how can you be so confident and stop calling me Shirley? Airplane, if you've seen that movie. All right, back off of my dad joke. Look, as you're trying to make a decision, oftentimes God is going to call us to do unbelievably radical, difficult things. If you already have it made up in your mind that, man, God, there's no way God could be asking me to do this. If you're already presuming upon God, it's going to be hard to follow him. So as you're in the midst of making a decision, and particularly a difficult decision, man, I want you to go before God. Go to Jesus and say, whatever it is you want me to do, even if I can't wrap my head around it, okay, I want to follow you. Don't presume, and then wait upon the Lord. So when we experience his calm, his peace, and we're not just kind of moved by fear and anxiety, we cannot presume, and then, I mean, this is a refrain all throughout Scripture, we can wait upon the Lord. Do you remember when Peter asked Jesus, hey, is it now the time to use the sword? Do you remember Jesus' answer? Neither do I. Did you notice he didn't give one? I mean, that's a huge part of the problem in following Jesus. Man, you got to wait upon the Lord. So Peter, again, assuming he understands Jesus, like we just talked about the sword, clearly now's the time to use the sword. So he presumed upon God, asked, hey, is now the time, and then doesn't wait for the answer. I mean, that's a huge part of what's going on in this text. He just moved before God spoke and before Jesus spoke to him. So maybe you're in that season right now. You're wrestling through following God. What should I do? I want you to be calm. Know that God is your shepherd. You, your provision is taken care of. Go before God and simply ask him, and then wait upon the Lord. 
So many people, and I've been, I'll just speak for myself, there's so many times I'm not sure, and I just move. And granted, man, is it hard to know at times. But if you have no peace what God is saying to just move, man, it's going to be hard to follow him if we don't wait upon him and to hear his answer. So following Jesus, what does that look like? I want you to be calm. Wait upon him. Secondly, I want you to be countercultural. And it's not about keeping score, but if we were, I'm going to count that as two C's uh, for those keeping score at home. Countercultural. What do I mean by that? See, following Jesus, if your life looks no different than your non-Christian neighbor, man, something should be going off. We should hear some warning bells going off in our mind. You know, Jesus, as he is preparing this new community, makes it dead clear that we as Christians should be vastly different than this world. If my life is no different, the way I spend my money, the way I spend my time, the way I use my words, the way I use whatever, the way I use my body, if it's no different, then we should be concerned because following Jesus, we should be countercultural. And here's how I kind of see that kind of bringing out of this passage. See, when they go to arrest him, I mean, you just see the irony of it. You know, he's supposed to be the criminal, and he brings that out. Like, guys, you're coming out here like I'm a criminal, like I'm, you know, like I'm a common, like, thief robbing somebody. And Jesus says, I was teaching every day in the temple. How come you didn't come after me in the temple? And he's just drawing out their hypocrisy. He says, you guys are working under kind of the cover of night. I'm a person of the day. And, you know, I've been in the temple not ashamed of anything. See, the ways of this world, and many of you probably felt it, maybe in your business, you know, it's underhanded, it's deceptive, you know, it's behind closed doors. Jesus, man, to follow him, we got to be different. we got to be above reproach. If you're trying to follow him, I heard this filter recently in a movie. If there's something that you're doing, and it just use this as a trigger, is there something you're doing in your life that you don't want your mother to know about? Maybe that should, you know, send a little message in your head. Okay, maybe that's not countercultural. Maybe that is deceptive and backhanded. We use this filter at church. As we're trying to decide to make a decision, you know, Pastor Rick just challenged us with this. Like, hey, if what you're doing, if that was just blasted on the Internet, would you be okay with that? We need to be counter-cultural. Is there something in your life that if I just send an all-church email about you know, your behavior or a business dealing, would you be okay with that? And if there's something that you wouldn't be okay with everybody knowing about, man, that might be a sign that, man, maybe I'm not being counter-cultural. I'm just going along with the culture. You know, just backhanded. You know, he talks about that, the hour of darkness. To follow Jesus, we need to be people above reproach, above kind of, man, any sort of sin in wicked ways, people of light. To follow Jesus, I want you to be countercultural. Be above reproach. Lastly, last point I want to land on, I want you to be courageous. I see that so much in Jesus here. Again, you've got to think about the situation. I mean, Jesus being arrested. He said more like a kidnapping as he's innocent here. And I want to define courage a little bit. 
Because I think the way Jesus lives out and defines courage is, again, countercultural and different from the world defines it. In some ways, Peter showed very worldly courage. And again, Jesus kind of rebukes him. But man, as a lot of the other disciples are fleeing, I mean, Peter's fighting. And that's a big kind of, kind of that's a good worldly picture of courage. Kind of funny, true story just yesterday. I was kind of walking back through my neighborhood and kind of walking. It was just me and my two kids. And we were by ourselves, and a, a truck was coming by, and my kids were about to cross the road, and I kind of yelled at them because traffic was coming, and I obviously didn't want my kids to run in the road. But I didn't think twice about it, so I just crossed the street. I'm making my way back to my house, and I hear kind of the truck speed up. And I hear them kind of pulling back around. At this point, I still didn't think anything of it. I thought maybe it was somebody from church. And he kind of pulls up behind me with the window down. I thought, maybe, maybe he recognized me from church. Maybe it's somebody I know, or maybe he's asking directions. And he pulls up, and he kind of looks at me, and I could tell I didn't recognize him. He goes, what'd you say to me? I was kind of taken aback, and I was confused. And I think I even just asked, like, wait, what? And he said, what'd you say to me? And so I promise you, uh, I didn't scream anything at him. So if you're worried that your pastor, like, picks fights on the weekends, I promise I don't. And if I did, I promise I wouldn't do it with my six- and three-year-old with me. So I, I think what happened in hindsight when I was trying to yell to my kids staying on the road, he thought I was screaming at him. So what is courage in that moment? You know, do I just, you know, kind of come at that guy? Say, man, I didn't say nothing. You back off me, I didn't say nothing, son. One that wasn't needed because... I really didn't say anything, and I was genuinely confused. I feel bad. He probably thought I was screaming at him, but I just said, oh, I'm sorry. I, didn't, I, I really didn't say anything. I was just talking to my kids, and that was it. And that's where, again, I want to define courage, because that's, that's what Peter did. He kind of went over the top and used his strength to kind of attack and defeat evil. But I think, I think kingdom courage is so much deeper than using your strength to defeat evil. And that's where even in the other Gospels where you get this, you know, he rebukes Peter and says, those who live by the sword die by the sword. So courage isn't just using our strength to further violence and to just kind of defeat evil. Man, I want to have the type of courage that can end evil and to experience redemption, not just defeat and hurt the person who's hurting somebody else. Here's a great quote from MLK that I think begins to kind of summarize the courage that Jesus is calling us to. MLK says, hate begets hate. Violence begets violence. Toughness begets a greater toughness. We must meet the forces of hate with the power of our love, with the power of love. Our aim must never be to defeat or humiliate. I want to have that kind of courage. Not to just try to stand up to defeat evil, to punch the bully in the face. God's courage, I think, is deeper than that. It's not violence, and it's surely not silence. Yes, I want to stand up for those that are oppressed. I want to stand up for everybody, not just for the abused, but for the abuser. I mean, look at this beautiful picture. This is Jesus' last miracle. Did you catch who his last miracle is for? 
the very soldiers arresting him. Jesus heals the very person who is arresting him and taking him to the cross. I want to have that kind of courage. That doesn't, of course, I want to have the courage to stand up for the oppressed and for the victim. But I want to have the kind of courage that also can love the abused and abuser. That's what it means to follow Jesus. It's not furthering violence. It's not silence. It's standing in that gap and ending it. It's not attacking evil. It's absorbing evil. That's the kind of courage that Jesus showed. I heard kind of Christian ministry this way. It's like being a lightning rod. If you want to follow Jesus, we need to go out and be a lightning rod. Do you know what a lightning rod actually does? So you put a lightning rod on a building to divert the the lightning, the electricity from the building so that you can absorb that. And it is kind of tied into the ground. A lightning rod will be tied to the ground so it can disperse that. That's a picture of courage and love. It's not attacking anyone. It's not furthering violence. It's not attacking. It's absorbing evil. So if you want to follow Jesus, you go to people that are hurting, that are being attacked, and you hold up that lightning rod. Why do you do that? They put a lightning rod because they know if that lightning hits a building, it can't absorb it. It will explode and cause a fire. But to be grounded like a lightning rod, to be so grounded in Christ, to go to this world and say, you give me the hate. I'll take the brunt of this pain. Courage is paying the price for somebody else's sin. That's what Jesus did on the cross. To love all people. That's why I think foster care is so courageous, right? Someone has been harmed. Somebody else sinned against that person. You bring that child into your home and you hold up a lightning rod and you embrace that pain. You pay the price for somebody else's sin. Because you're grounded in Christ, you can absorb that hate. If you want to follow Jesus, you find kind of where death is reigning, where sin is wreaking havoc. And you don't go just crush the person doing that. It's like the people screaming at abortion clinics. That's not courageous to just scream at somebody. That's furthering violence. That's violence begetting violence. You stand in the gap. You protect those that are hurting. And the way you do that isn't by furthering attack. It's by absorbing the blow of evil. I want to follow Jesus. We can do that because we're comforted by him. We know we have his grace. And so I want you to hear from God. Go to him. He's not a formula. And I want you to listen for him where he tells you the people that are hurting. And I want you to wrap your arms around them. Put up that lightning rod and absorb the pain and hate of this world so that it can end it. That is following Jesus. Not the way of the sword. It is the way of peace. Will you pray with me? Father, I do... I want to experience peace personally for myself. You would bring it all to peace, not just for me. 
God, for those that are hurting, but even for those that are hurting others. God, I want to have that kind of courage to stand in this world, grounded by you, to put an end to hate and evil by absorbing that as you did on the cross. Help us to be those kind of people that shine in this world. That is only possible because of Christ, and it's in that name of Jesus we pray.